Jonathan to Hughes, who's now our first receiver. Guys, we have a very special treat on this episode of the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. Joining Scott and myself, we have a former Canberra Raider, a Huddersfield Giant, a West Tiger, a New Zealand Kiwi, and of course, a Canterbury Bulldog. Jamal Oessi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, boys. Appreciate it. We usually start the show of just you know getting to know you, getting to know the special guests and a little bit behind. So was rugby league always the dream for you, Jamal? Yeah, I guess when I was uh, younger um, on the Gold Coast, you, you grow up with, with beaches and there's so much to do up here. But um, for the group I grew up with, my friends, uh, we all wanted to be footy players. So um, that, that part came quite naturally. And um, um, I, was, I was lucky to have a really good group of friends growing up. Um, all had a very similar dream. but uh, And then we're obviously blessed to have a high school, uh, Kedra Park High School, which is... Uh, bred a heap, a heap of NRL players out of it on the Gold Coast. So um, I was lucky to come through that that school and and get a chance at, at a young age. When did you realise that rugby league uh, could be something that you could make a career out of? Um, I guess when I left school. Um, I left school, it was the first job I had, a professional job. Um, I went straight down to Canberra and started training with the, uh, with the, the first team and the reserve grade team and uh, the under 17s. And it was uh, quite an eye opener because um, I went from uh, a school formal a couple of nights before uh, into running laps around the field with, with uh, Mel Meninga and Laurie Daly. So that was uh, the point where I realized, I think, I think it's real now. Wow, do you imagine that? <laughs> school formal and next minute you got Mel Meninga, what the best center of all time. <laughs> what running opposite you? <laughs> yeah, it was well. He was coaching at the time, Mal, and um, mm. and Laurie, Laurie was the captain, and, and mm. so it was just like you know, all your childhood, your, your idols, your heroes, are yeah. all of a sudden they're your work colleagues. Um, mm. um, so it was it was surreal, but it, it was a good uh, learning experience because I had to grow up really quick. Yeah, which I don't think I was ready for at that time, but um, yeah. Well, um, something we've touched on now. How was Mal as a coach? Was he a um, like a Craig Bellamy type who gets out there and does some of the physical stuff with the players, or was he more hands off? Um, oh, look, I think that was early on in Mal's coaching career, and yeah. obviously he's gone on to do sensational things in the game. Um, but even back then, he, I, I, I found him quite a good coach. He was more of a man manager, um, mm. so to say, more so than a um, you know a, a intense um, knowledge, a man of knowledge. Like Sheenzy was more of a yeah, in your face rugby league all the time. Uh, whereas um, Mal was more of a let the assistant coaches coach, and he would manage the team and the, and the characters within the team. I just was just picturing you catching up with a few mates a couple of weeks after the school formal. And uh, what have you been doing? I've just been running around with Mal Meninga, Laurie Daly, Wiki was like it was literally like that. I came home for the Christmas holidays, and. <laughs> And they asked me how, how it was, and it was hard for me to explain because it was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's really good, you know. Like, Mal just makes us do Mal's in Mal Meninga. Yeah, <laughs> Mal Meninga just makes us do, you know, this and that. And you know, Laurie, you know, he's over there. His, his knees aren't so good now, so he only trains on these days. And 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 they're all sitting there looking at me like, well, we only left you like three weeks ago, and <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all trying to get a beer down the local shop. <laughs> 
Uh, who did you support as a child up there on the Gold Coast? Um, well, obviously everyone up here went for the went for the Broncos, hmm. um, but um, and we always sort of had a soft spot for the Broncos. But obviously, when I moved down south, I obviously just supported whoever I then started playing for at that, at that point in time. But um, funny, interesting, yeah, you say that because now that I'm retired, um, I support the doggies still. It's been a painful couple of years, but. <laughs> You know, hopefully we can see our way out of the uh, the doldrums, so to say. And, uh, things look on the up this year, anyway. Well, they say once a bulldog, always a bulldog. Yeah, I think, and I think that does stick stick with you. I think, I think once you play for the club, and um, especially the era that I come through, where it was very family orientated club, um, where the Hughes boys there, obviously still there, um, obviously Bullfrog and, and and Kev Moore, and you know, I came through with with all the Hughes boys, and and then obviously Folks who was the coach. And, and uh, Mortimer was involved with the club at the time, so it was a very family orientated club. And um, you know, hopefully, the club hasn't hasn't lost. I think really, really going back there has been a great thing. So um, I take it that you still enjoy still enjoy watching footy, following yeah. the game. Yeah, I do. I mean, it changes so quickly. You know, look, and I, I, it, it's hard to um, criticise something that you just loved so much for so many years of your life. You know, but. You know, I don't, the referee situation hasn't hasn't helped over the last few years, but I I, I definitely think the game's in a good place. Um, I think there's some really good players out there. Uh, I think the expansion of the new team is going to be a good thing, hopefully. Um, yeah, I think I think the game's in a really good place, and yeah, I still love watching it. And do you have any game day rituals or superstitions when you're playing? Um. Not really. I, I like to. I like. I used to like being quite relaxed, um, and I used to like getting ready quite as late as I could. Um, uh, we had a quite a funny group when I was playing at the doggies because we had some funny characters like, um, you know, like I could get there. You know, he'd be there like four hours before game, like with his gear on, just like ready to play. <laughs> just like you walk in, he's like that intense. He's ready to go. Okay, he was just ready to go all the time. Good, great to play with. But they had some really good characters, some funny, funny rogues in the team. You know, everyone's got their own superstition. I just like to be as relaxed as I could. That's just was my thing. And um, getting as late as I could, ready as late as I could, um, I found that helped me relax the most. Um, Mark O'Mealy, he's, he's one of those characters, wasn't he? I remember meeting him a few times and he was the nicest guy in the world. And you wouldn't imagine... You know, I think he's the definition of white line fever. You wouldn't imagine him after having a conversation with him doing some of the stuff that happened on the field at the physicality of it all um, out there. He really transformed in that white line. <laughs> yeah, he, he was, he, he lived and breathed it. He was, a, he was you know, he, until you'd actually played with him, it's hard to, hard to actually explain how good of a teammate he was because, um, you know, from the outside looking in, everyone used to think, oh, he's, he's just, he's mad, this bloke, but Obviously, he's the type of player that you just want to go to war with every week because, you know, he just leaves nothing out there. He left nothing out in the field. He just gave everything, everybody, every you know, everything he had, he gave it. He was just that type of player. So, no, he was fantastic to play with Ogre. I absolutely enjoyed my time playing with him and he was a great player, really good player. Could, I could just picture him, just someone like not even running through the, like the door. He could run through the wall at Stadium Australia. Or a core stadium and just get out there. He doesn't need the door or anything. Um, surprised he didn't play the game before you guys even got there. Are you sure he didn't play before? No, well, I will tell you a really good story though. He, <clears throat> he was uh, he was under an injury cloud. It was like a it was like a seventy percent chance he wasn't going to play. So like 
but he's, he's as I always did. Like if he was, if he was, if he was a chance of playing, he, like the only thing that could stop him would be like if someone cut his leg off. Like he he would just play in the games where he just had no right playing. He just was that tough and that type of bloke. He just had the mentality of if I get to like you know a certain percentage, I'm going to play. But he comes to training one day. And he says to the physio, he goes, mate, I'm good to go. I've, I've been, I've been uh, doing fitness tests in the backyard. And I can't remember what injury it was. I don't think it might have been his shoulder or something. I can't remember what it was. But, and the, the physio says, well, what do you mean you've been doing fitness tests? He says, well, my missus has had the running pad. She's been running at me as hard as <laughs> in the backyard. I'll put a couple on. I feel good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. fitness test in the backyard. <laughs> What was the what was the response by the physio? What was the club's oh, he response? Just took his head, bro. He ended up playing <laughs> that week though, and he killed it as usual. And his um, wife, his wife Sandy, she was she was lovely, but I could imagine that she because if he was a chance of playing, she'd have got him ready. Trust me. Well, he was okay. as hard as he was. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a story. And we'll get to some more Bulldogs things later. But um, as we touched on a little bit earlier, your debut came uh, at the Canberra Raiders against the Sharks in round sixteen. Um, when you get told that you're going to play in the NRL, who's the first person that you you told or you phone called? Uh, it was my dad. Um, yeah, it was my mum and dad. I, I called him straight away. It was actually it was actually really good. I was I was really good friends with Leslie Vanicolo at the time. Yeah. And uh, Les was playing on the wing for the Raiders, and I was playing reserve grade. And I played about I think I played about six or seven games of reserve grade. And I walked into the physio room. And uh, Les is on the table and he's getting his ankle looked at. He says to me, oh, how do you feel? I said, yeah, I feel good. He goes, oh, you want to play this week? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mal, Mal says if I'm out, you're in. And he goes, <laughs> he goes but if, if you want to have a game, like, you know, I won't be 100% and you can have a game. And so he was at that chance where he was like 50-50 to play for the game. But he said to the physio, no, no, I'm not good for this week and gave me a chance. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I ended up getting ended up getting a debut game, and then I played really well, and I think I stayed in for a few weeks. Um, I, he moved, Les came back, and I moved into the centres or moved on to the other wing. I can't remember, but I ended up getting a, a decent run. I think I was like eighteen. I think I got like eleven of the last thirteen games of the year. So what what goes through your mind in that instance when Leslie says to you, "If I'm out, you're in." What's what's that initial reaction? Well, just like butterfly, just nerves, just like. Oh, is this happening? Because you know you're not prepared for it. Usually, it's the coach sort of calling you in, but when it's one of the other players saying, "Oh, I think you might get a chance," uh, I, I wasn't. You know, until you hear it from the coach, you're not you're not sold. And then uh, I remember we went out uh, into into the uh, dressing rooms, and uh, Mal um, used to call people into into the rooms. And uh, I got a funny story later. He, he called us in. He called us in, and uh, I kind of knew. And he goes, "Oh, mate, Les has a chance of not playing this week, so you'll be named in the squad." So don't know if you're playing yet, but just come in and, and sit down. But obviously, I'd already spoken to Les, and Les had told me that he's not playing. So I kind of knew I was playing already. So as soon as the, the session finished, I remember I just I winged it straight over to mum and dad's and and, and told them. And uh, and then I waited a couple of days, and Les obviously didn't make it. And then Mal, Mal told me I was in. So. Yeah, it was Cronulla at Shark Park. Um, and my parents, everyone, all the family came up to watch. It was, it was funny because Laurie, before the game, I'm sitting in the corner and Laurie comes up to me and goes, mate, I know you're really nervous. He goes, get, come in off your wing to about three or four in and make the first tackle and just sort of calm your nerves down a bit. 
I said, yeah, yeah, no, no dramas, Loz. So I come in off my wing, we kick off, and it goes down to uh, Nathan Long. Remember Nathan Long with the blonde hair, the front yeah. And he gets it, he comes, he used to come steaming from like Rose Ed, like running like an absolute kamikaze. And he just ran straight over me, straight through me and made like a 50 meter break. And I remember, I remember getting up off the ground and I'm running and Laurie says, get back on your wing. That's <laughs> running back down the line. Oh. Thanks, Loz. Thanks for that, Loz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we need to find the uh, the footage of that because I'm sure the commentators would have made mention of the young yeah. the young winger that came in. <laughs> Very first kickoff, straight through on the break. Uh, I think you know, the story of you being told uh, you're going to play um, was outstanding, but that's a, a risky move. Telling it, I wouldn't. I, if I'm in the uh, top grade position, I wouldn't be telling someone who's below me, especially someone of your talent, that hey, I might be just. If I'm 50 50 and you want to play, I'll let you have a go yeah. because I'd be in reserves next week. For yeah, sure. Well, I think back then, yeah. I mean, I mean obviously, Les back then was like. He was like one of the gods down in Canberra. He was mm. he just burst onto the scene for a couple of years. And I don't think he was fearful of his position. Um and plus him and him and um Ruben had kind of taken me under their wing when I was a lot younger. Um being a being a um a young kid with Pacific Islander heritage. So I think he just was kind of wanted to give me a taste. But anyway, look, it worked out really well because I ended up, I think I went actually ended up going on the other wing for a while. And then mm. uh, I moved me into the centres. So I ended up playing center and Les ended up playing wing. So it ended up working out pretty well. You just brought up Ruben Wiki there. We're going to ask you uh, about him a little bit later, but we'll ask now, what was it like running out alongside Ruben, the legend? Yeah, it just gave you like a, a sense of security. You, could, you felt like you were physically going to be okay when you're around him. Yeah, just a, I think he had, I think he garnered so much respect throughout the league. Uh, he played the game really tough. He was tough, but he was a tough bloke. But he was a real uh, respectful and honourable type of bloke, and he and he had that res- respect and honour about him. Um, mm. Just he played, you know, you couldn't get one over him. He just played so tough. But after the game, he's the first one there to shake your hand or pick you up. Like he's that type of bloke. So you know, when you're a teammate with someone like that, it gives you a little bit of a sense of security. You know that the you know you, you know that someone's there has got your back. Yeah, I've never heard anybody, whether it be fan, commentator, ex-player, or anything, say a bad word about Ruben. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's one to be had, to be honest yeah. with you. He played it the right way, didn't he? Yeah. He tough, but fair. Yeah. yeah. he was, t- that, And I think that sums him up perfectly. He was tough, but just, you know, he wasn't cheap. You know, he wasn't dirty. You know, everything you, you got at face value, he was, he was as tough as he says he, as he was going to do it and how he was going to play it, but he was, fair, he was as fair as. Like, he was a fair competitor, just a really tough, fair, honest competitor. Back to that debut game for yourself, Jamal. Um, apart from being run over by Nathan Long, um, debuting so early, were you ready for it? Um, oh, I guess, I guess you, you never know if you're ready for it. You kind of, it's kind of sink or swim, you mm. You get a chance, and everyone's you know it's everything you've worked for and you've been trying to do your whole life, and it's kind of like well you've you've got it now. It's either either take it or you know or miss out. That's this sink or swim type of thing. So you know, I was just excited to get an opportunity, and um, mm-hmm. I will say when you play with really good players, um, it does make it easier. I mean, I was I was eighteen, and I had you know we had Brett Mullins and Ken Nagus and and Laurie Daly and David Ferner. 
Jason Croker, like, you know, it was a good team. It was, you know, like legends, some of those, you know, they changed the way the game played in the mid-90s, like, you know, and, and when you're a young kid, you know, and you're playing out in the back line with Laurie passing you the ball, it's, the game seems really easy, you know, and then Laurie retires and you're sitting there going, oh, okay, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, that's what happens, you know, like, yeah. you're an outside back, you know, like, you can, you can be... You can have the best outside backs in the world, but if you don't have a halfback to pass them to them, they're just sitting out there doing nothing. Well, Absolutely. I, I think that, um, sorry, Scott, I think that leads into the, the next question really good. What was the major differences between um, reserve grade and the LRL? Um, it, well, the physicality, just mm-hmm. one, and the intensity. Yeah. The skill level obviously jumps up because the, you know, the elitism of the players jumps up, but um, everything's just that slight bit quicker and everything's just that slight bit harder and faster. Uh, there's no lapses. Uh, you know, every error in judgment gets punished. Mm. Uh, whereas in reserve grade, you might get away with it. You might get away with it two or three weeks on the bounce. Uh, but you, you make one mistake in an NRL game and you get punished for it. It just happens so quickly. One of my favourite questions when we ask players who come on the podcast is, um, do you remember your first NRL try? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Well, you scored so many. Yeah, well, I, well, yeah, I actually don't remember my first one. So, according to the the pre um, work that Scotty's done before this interview, it was game five against the Dragons. Does that ring a bell? Oh God, I can't even remember it. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's different when when we had Barry Ward and we asked him, he scored a handful of tries. Yeah. When we're talking to an outside back who's scoring yeah. fun, it's a bit different. <laughs> you have quite a fair bit. That's good. Sorry. I remember the good ones. The ones I really enjoyed, are, they're, like, they're, like, they're like yesterday. Like I played them yesterday. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't, maybe we lost the game. Well, it happened at uh, Bruce Stadium at the time, round 22 against the Dragons. Um, but what, what when we say, when you think of your career and think of tries that you scored, what's the first one that comes to mind? Uh, it was at the Doggies. Yep. Um, it was when we played. Um, it was, we played Melbourne. We were doing really well. Um, it was a, it was actually a nothing try, but I just remember it was a big big try in the context of our season. Uh, we mm-hmm. beat Melbourne. It was a Channel Nine game on a Sunday afternoon. And it was just a Willie Willie Tonga just did a piece of magic, just slipped his centre, mm-hmm. got to the winger, give it a flick, and I probably didn't have any right score on it, but I'd somehow just squirm my way over into the corner. But and it wasn't a like a 90 metre try or anything, but it was in the context we won that season in 2004, and it was a try that sort of got us. I think we went like, I think we went like 10 or 12 points in front, and we actually started getting on top of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, we ended up winning the game, but then we got some momentum. And I think we won like a few in a row after that, and then we went on this run, and then obviously that led into the semis, and off we went. See, I was actually watching the highlights DVD last night. Last night, yeah, last night it was uh, for the 2004 season, and I do actually remember the try you're talking about. Yeah, it was a uh, huge try in the corner, just sort of fell in, but yeah, it was huge in the game. Yeah, it was it was described in the uh, in the DVD as a game where Melbourne, if they thought they were going to be an easy win, Melbourne had another thing coming for them, and then and mm. then they described that try as the one where it just got away f- from Melbourne. So yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah. So you made your made the finals in the first year of the LRL. How was that? Yeah, it was really good actually because that was that really good Canberra team. Where they all retired that year, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was so blessed to play in that team because that was one of the best Canberra teams to ever do it. Like Mallows was still at fullback. Kenny was on one of the wings. I played centre. Um, Les, Les was obviously on the wing. Uh, Jason Croker was locked. Dave Ferner was in the back row. Obviously, Laurie, uh, Mark McKinnon, I think, was in the halves. Uh, Luke DeVico, Todd Payton, Simon Wolford. It was just a really good, uh, you know, and it was, we, we ended up losing, I think, in the major semi to um, the Roosters. Um, but it was like Freddie versus Freddie Fittler versus Laurie Daly, you know, like yeah. going head to head. And it was a good stash. Like we didn't get flogged or anything. I think we had, I just lost a few points. But the experience of actually playing with those guys, I learned so much that year just how you prepare for big games. How do you actually be a proper professional? Because, you know, when you see it with blokes who have done it for 20-odd years at the top level for Australia, for everything, and when you're a young bloke, you're like a sponge when you're seeing all these fellas and the way they prepared. And, um, yeah, it just gave me a real good footing. And as a young bloke going in, having a good career, I sort of learned a lot of really valuable lessons really early. Um, and and and, and same, for, same for Finchie was my good mate, and same for Finchie. You know, he had a really good grounding actually having to play with Laurie and all them blokes and learning off him, you know, like, so it was, it was a really good grounded down there. I really, really enjoyed my time at Canberra. You played a bit of centre, you played a bit of wing in the first year. Did it matter where you were playing or just, you just, as long as you're in that 17, it doesn't matter. Was yeah, the... I, I wasn't bothered. Yeah. I, and, and at that point in my career, I was so young and naive not to even be bothered about, you know, what do you, you, you know, so some blokes are precious about the position they play and it has to be the left side and they have to be this and that. And at that point in my career, I didn't care where I was playing. It could be left, right, centre wing. I didn't care where I was playing as long as I was on the field. You had another two years at Canberra, 2002, missing the finals, top four in 2003. Um, I think it was about that time period, if I think back to watching the games, um, I started to really, not to blow smoke up your backside, mate, but started to really notice you stand up. And I, I remember actually saying to family members, I wouldn't mind uh, if that Jamal Oessi from the Raiders was at the dogs. And that came came true um, two years after that. But before we get to the dogs, uh, top four in 2003, then you, what made you leave after that? Yeah, it was, we had a really good year, 2003. We, um, we had a really good team. We had Matty Elliott had just moved back from England to coach. Uh, and he was a good coach. He brought heaps of really good new ideas. Um, and and all that, although we had a really good year, that I think we lost in the, we lost to the Warriors in um, the major semi. Um, and uh, it was a great game. But I decided halfway through the year, I was going to go for two reasons. Uh, one, once the, the doggies uh, approached and said that they would love to have me over because Nigel mm-hmm. was moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to fill Nigel's boots, but to come in as a, a back replacement um, and fight for a spot. That was basically the conversation that we had with uh, Husey, um, that, you know, you'd come and you'd be one of the backs in contention to fight for a spot to play in the team. Uh, and at that point, um, the Doggers had just lost all their points, hmm. um, but they were flogging everyone every week. And uh, I just thought it would be a really good opportunity to go to a club that has a really good chance of winning a, winning a granny. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're a player, like you, you try and position yourself as an athlete to play in, you, you try and position yourself first of all, look after yourself and your family financially. But you're always trying to angle, well, I was anyway, towards trying to win a premiership. Like, I mean, why else? You know, why else would you do it if you're not trying to win? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously there's other motivations in terms of money, but at that time, I just thought the doggies, with the team they had and the talent they had, I just thought they were a club that were going to win. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I loved um, when I went and spoke to Husey about how he said they were a tight-knit group and they worked hard. And, you know, they built their success around the way they trained. And I thought, oh, that suited me fine. Away we went. And then obviously we did really well with Canberra that year. Um, and it was hard for me to leave at the end of the year, but um, I, I definitely don't regret it because it was probably the best decision I ever made, really. And how did uh, how would you break that to a teammate? It's like that you're moving on. Do you say something similar to that or? Yeah, look, at the time, Canberra um, offered me um, very, very, pretty much the same similar contract pretty much the exact same contract. And I just said to the, the boys, you know, especially my close mates, that I was just leaving for the opportunity to play at a club, you know, even though we'd gone close there at the Raiders and they had a nice young group. I just thought, um, you know, like as harsh as it sounds, that the Dogs were a better chance of winning a grand final. That's what, that's what, I, that's what I was gambling on. That's what I, the opportunity I, I, I went for. That's, I went for that opportunity. And, it, you know, luckily it turned out to be true. Do you remember your debut for the Bulldogs? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Parramatta. It was a good game. Funny Bill came on the scene. How can I forget it? <laughs> yeah, it was round one, 2004. Yeah, it was actually, yeah. I think we ended up just toweling them up. I think Sonny Bill just put on an absolute clinic that day. Okay. That was, I mean, that, that off-season, I knew I'd made the right, the right decision. I mean, I got there on day one. And I remember just watching Sonny Bill run around the field. We did like this really hard fitness thing with 20. And I remember just watching him run around the field thinking, like, who's going to stop? Like, him and Willie actually were, you know, the one good thing I love about the Bulldogs, right, is the big blokes there, the really big blokes, were like some of the fittest. Like, the little whippets were, like, like General and um, Jonathan Thurston, they, they would win the fitness, as expected. Like, they were, you know, they were like five kilos ringing wet. It was nothing of them. <laughs> But like the next blokes up were like Willie and yeah. and, and Sonny and mm. like Braith. Braith was a big bloke, you know. Like people don't understand how Braith, big Braith was for a halfback. Mm. Like it's a hundred kilos plus. He was a big ball mm. running halfback, you know. Like he was a he was a big kid, you know. Like and all the all the big blokes and Ogre, like they were all they would all be up the front of the fitness. And I come from Canberra and we were probably more skills orientated type of club. Mm -hmm. So that was an eye opener for me. Because here I was as an outside back behind all the big blokes. And I'm thinking, this doesn't seem right to me. How, how am I so far back and they're all the way out there? And that was a feature of the club, is that the, these big superstar athletes, but they were like the best trainers that you've ever seen. It was like, it was beyond belief. What an insight right there into um, Willie Mason in particular, because that's not something that's, I guess, widely known outside of probably the players, how hard he, he worked at training everyone sees the character that he is and and they love it or, or or not but you don't hear that too much that's quite a quite a great insight big what did you say second or third in the fitness test yeah he, he worked uh, up, really a lot of people like it like his like you just said there they would get it they would get his uh personality mixed up and think he was just this bloke that turned up on the weekend and played good like, mm -hmm. that was completely, you couldn't be further from the truth. Like, he, he trained hard. Like, he liked to party hard, but he trained as hard as he partied. Mm. And he was the type of bloke that, you know, like, he would look after his body. He'd be getting an extra massage and doing extra pool sessions. And, you know, and like, he loved the beer. Don't get me wrong, we all did. But he's the first one there at training, getting ready and making sure he's doing the extra fitness and doing the yards and the hard yards. Like, that, that, that team in 2004 in particular was a team that, that was synonymous with, you know, we, we like to party hard, which we did, 
but we also trained extremely hard as a group. And that was the culture of the club at the time. It was a bit of a bit of a party hard, drink hard type of, but that was an old school um, culture that, that's that been slowly phased out of the game. Like it's, they're professional athletes now, a lot more professional than what we were, but that didn't mean we didn't work hard, you know? Like that was an extremely hard working group of men. That's, and I think that attributes to, to why we won that year. There was a lot of anticipation that year too. I don't think I remember a year in my life at least where amongst the, the fans, that much anticipation to um to see the teams like really succeed yeah well because we had the rough uh pre-season obviously that year obviously we can all remember what happened mm. in yeah. yeah yeah so but before that had all happened you know like you know we played a trial match and i think we absolutely give it to canberra in this trial match but in that trial match you know the media got their first look at sunny bill mm. and um also Leroy Asatazi and, and Rennie Matua. Mm. so like you know people are like starting to see these blokes playing they're like how are you going to fit them all in this team because we had jonathan thurston running around as like number player number 18 yeah like people are looking at how are they going to pick this team like people wondering scratching their heads how we're going to all fit in willie tonga just come over from Parramatta. i just come over from from camera so thinking how we're going to how they're going to fit all these players in and it worked out i started playing on the wing with outside of willie and, and um and Sonny Bill played in one of the centres. And we all just, I think at the beginning of the year, folks, he was very, um, he was just mixing and matching it and just basically trying to get a feel for the team. Yeah. And I don't think it was till later in the year he figured out the team. But even then, um, you know, Thursday didn't even get a run in the semis until Pricey and I got hurt. Yeah. I got mm-hmm. hurt in the, uh, around 20, I think it was around 22. And Pricey got injured, I think it was in one of the semis. Mm. A week before, and so then Thurst, Thursday got in, and obviously we all the rest is history. He absolutely killed it in that semi-final series, um, and you know, and the rest is history. Off, off we went. But like he just had like folksy at that point, like as a coach, he's you know he couldn't he probably rubbing his hands together, thinking, "What have I done to deserve this?" Like he's un, he's unveiled Sonny Bill in round one, who's you know scored like two tries, ran the length of the field, set a few up at like eighteen. He's he's, he's unveiled. Roy as a Tarzi off the bench as a front rower who could just come on. He had leg speed like a winger, but was a front rower. And then he's like unveiled Rennie Matua. He was like a ball playing, you know, he was the size of Andrew Ryan. He was a ball playing back rower. He's probably thinking, oh, what have I done to deserve this? Looking back now, that bench for that year, they could be the greatest interchange bench ever. Well, it was. Well, that was the reason why we won. Look, <laughs> no, no one could compete with the bench. Like, Sonny Bill, if you remember that year, Sonny Bill had come off the bench and just score a try. Like, he'd go and pluck a bomb out there and just score. Like, the the bench was just coming on and blowing teams away. I remember we played Brisbane up in Brisbane and we brought Roy Asatazi on and Sonny Bill and Rennie and they just just destroyed them. After, like, 20 minutes, they had to put up with Ogre and Willie and and Pricey and and Bobcat. You know, they just pounded. We just pounded them and pounded them. And then after 20 minutes, they took Petro, Sibna, Sebra off and Gordy off for a rest. And we brought on Sonny, Roy and... Many like teams were like we're just basically getting to 30 minutes going on, putting the flag up, going, we're done. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was a bench that just like, you know, you couldn't keep that team together for so long. It was, you know, the, the money was just gonna cost you an arm and a leg to keep everyone. But you know, why you get them that young and why you get them in the team that early, like, you know, at the back end of the year we lose three or four players, it didn't even matter. No one blinked. I don't think I know that I agree with the bench being one of the best. Um Ever, but I even think the outside back 
fifth that year. You obviously had yourself who came into the side who wasn't no guaranteed starting. So you trying to pinch a, a wing or a center spot. You had the likes of Matt Utai, a season pro, Hazel Majuri, another season pro, taking the wing spots. You had, Willie, like you said, Willie Tonga, who just came on, burst off the scene of Parramatta into Canterbury. And then you also had Ben Harris. Ben talk Harris. about a talk about a headache there. Like, you just got to fit, like, six of these blokes into five spots. Like, it's almost unfair. Like, you'd kind of feel like poor Benny Harris, who deserves yeah. a week-in, week-out spot in any NRL side, was struggling to get a game. Yeah, and it worked out, and that, and that year, I'll be honest with you, it just worked out perfectly because I think Matty Utah got injured for about five or six weeks. So, look, I went on to the wing and then mm-hmm. Benny Harris went into the setters. And then I think uh, Willie Tonga missed a couple of a few weeks and then, like, has missed maybe missed a week. Has never used to miss any games. And, like, so we ended up just having this interchangeable group of outside backs and there was, like, one spare all the time. And it worked out perfect because we all got a lot of game time throughout the year. So it came to like semi-final time and like no one was underdone. Mm. Like we had an outside back group where like all of us had played like at least 10 or 15 games. And it just like, you know, we just didn't skip a beat uh, that year. You know, like sometimes injuries can derail you. You can have, you know, you can have really good players sitting there in reserve grade who just haven't played all year. And then you put, you got to put them in like two weeks before a semi-final and they're just not ready. They're just, they're not up to the speed mm. of the game. But we just were ready, you know, like, Benny played a heap of footy. I got injured, I think it was like round 22. Benny slipped straight in. It was just like, didn't even skip a beat. We just, the team just went, just carried on. It's interesting that you say that hasn't barely missed any games back then. Because I think that was the year, the game that he might have missed. I think Sherwin kicked a, a conversion and the commentary was saying something ridiculous. Like, that's the first Bulldog player to kick a goal that wasn't Hazem in like, I don't know, some, six years or something. Or something yeah, some ridiculous has never stuff. missed, eh? <clears throat> we just had a real good group. Like, has just refused to miss the games. Like, like, has had to be really injured to miss a game because he was just, he was that durable. Like, he was, <clears throat> no, I never, ever used to see him with an ice pack on. Like, he just would yeah. finish a game, have his shower, put his clothes on, he'd be ready to go home. Like, he just walked in. Like, he's like, he's like, he's not playing a game of footy. He says, like, how does he do it? Like, he's in his, like, 30s. Like, he was quite, like, he just, he just, I don't know, he's just a, a really durable type of bloke. You get those blokes that just don't get injured. He was one of them. When we've had them, we just, do you ever think for him, you know, never missed a goal, never missed a game type of thing? Did you ever score some wider? Just saying, hey, you reckon you can get it? Like, you've got to miss sometime, surely. Yeah, I, I actually, do you know what? I, we, we had this thing where, like, it didn't really matter. No one used to care where they scored. So, like, you know, you could be running down the field, like, and, and it's like, oh, I don't really need to run this in because has will kick it. And, and, like, everyone used to just think like that. Like, it didn't, no one ever thought, oh, I'll go and improve the position, whatever. And I remember I scored this try against Manly where, I, like, I made this long runaway. And I remember I scored about, like, probably like 10 or 15 metres in, but I could have went around about another probably 10 metres. And I remember scoring and I was walking back and has says to me, bro, Next time, run closer to the post for me, would you? <laughs> I remember looking at him, I was shocked. I was thinking, oh, I was like, oh right. I thought you I thought you I thought you just kick him from everywhere. And he was like quite angry. He was like, mate, run it, run it 10 meters over for me. I was like, I remember I was I was quite shocked. I was having a drink. Oh right, sorry, mate. So then something else. That was actually your if that was a try I'm thinking but that was actually your second try for the Bulldogs. Funny yeah, enough. Yeah, that's yeah. Your first try, and I think, I mean, I'm just making some speculation. You actually scored a try off uh, a shifty show and kick cross field. And they used to say Brent Sean looks for his little mate, hasn't. 
and I think you said, oh, you, you kick off so many goals, I'll just take this off you. And I'll put it down instead. So yeah. you got a crossfield okay. kick, and the commentary was saying, you're looking for Hazem, and then it ends up with Jamal instead, and he scores. Um, and I think I think it's fair. I mean, he kicks so many goals, he can share the points around a little bit, can't he? He's the second highest point scorer in the NRL history, so I'm sure he could give four points to his centre. Yeah, well, I hope so. Like, he, yeah, I mean, like, he, the kick went up, and I remember we both sort of grabbed it. And I remember I scored, and Haz goes, oh, I actually had that. You snatched it off me. <laughs> oh, sorry, Haz. Kick the goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, it was against Manly. That was actually a good game, that one. Uh, Hazem, a bit of a character himself, was he? Yeah, he was, well, a, yeah, he, he was a champion. Yeah, he was the best bloke, Haz. He, um, he was just that, that type of fella that... You know, like he, he was so reliable. He was like Mr. Reliable. But he was like that for anything. You could rely on him to do anything for you. You could ask him for a lift here. He was he was literally Mr. Reliable. I think that uh, little video that he released a year or two ago when uh, Cameron Smith broke his record was uh, hilarious and a yeah. good insight into perhaps. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's what he's like. He's got a, quite a dry sense of humour. He's a funny bloke. <laughs> Did you, um, with the, the start of the year when you had those like we spoke about those big outside backs and stuff. Oh, like the the, the length, the list goes on. Um, yeah. Outside back quality. Did you, like, was it, were you guys really close? Is that why you guys could bounce in with each other? Because you played on the left wing and then the next minute you're on the right centre, then you're at left centre because Willie Tong has gone off to Origin. You pretty much played everywhere there. So you were just moved around and then people came in and did their job. Was it because you're so tight that it was easy to do that or...? Yeah, I think so. I think I think the start of the year in particular, we had the, the trouble up in Coffs Harbour. And, um, I remember, I'll never forget, folks, he called us into a room and he said, you know, we're going through this situation and it's not ideal, but we make a decision now here, man to man, to back each other and have each other's back throughout this whole year because th- at the end of the day, that's what it's going to be. And I remember it was kind of galvanised us. I remember we... We were already a close group, but we became even closer through that period because we were under a lot of pressure. Uh, we'd obviously uh, were getting scrutinised by the media quite heavily, and then we had a really bad incident where we um, we were at training, and uh, the police turned up and asked if we wanted to do interviews. And they said we've got a lot of time, so they said, "Why don't you come down now, and we're free." So we said, "Okay, we'll do it," but we all just went in the gear that we had on. Yeah. I remember that the, the media just crucified us. We just got hammered. And then we all got called in. We all got interviewed individually from the board. And it was just such a big deal. And I remember Banksy doing through that whole period, doing so well as a coach to keep everyone together because he could have easily lost the squad there before we'd even played a game because it, it was getting quite, quite nasty and quite, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure yeah. on the players, especially um, to stick together like... You know, to, you could have easily just broken ranks and said, oh, well, you know, I wasn't told, so this and that. But I remember we, nobody said anything. It was just a very let the club handle it, um, just concentrate on what we're meant to be concentrating on, which is being athletes, being footy players. Yeah. There's some of the most shameful reporting of all time in that year by the media. It really was. Yeah, it really was. And it was sad because, you know, a lot of those players are you know, younger families. and mm. it, was, it, was, it was a... You know, tough time for everyone involved in the club. But I mean, like I said, I think Folksy did a did a, just a job, a fantastic job of keeping um, the boys together. And I guess to answer your question, yeah, we did have a really tight knit group because the way that Folksy had um, galvanised the group together, um, 
And, and once the dust settled uh, from that and we were able to get out on the field and start playing and let the results start speaking, um, that's when, you know, the, the good vibes started flowing through training and everyone started mm. enjoying themselves and, you know, going, going to work every day and loving what you're doing makes it a hell of a lot easier if you hate mm. it. You know, like, so we, we had this really tight in the group and, and that's probably why, in essence, to answer your question is 100% right. Yeah, we were so close and we're so tight knit that it was like one, you know, next man up, one, one bloke fell down, all right, we'll, we'll all get pitched together and you fill in here and we'll do this and that. And it was such a talented group um, and, and really well coached as well by the coaching staff. With uh, the, like the messages from Steve folks, there's a lot of time that, you know, the coaches can provide us much messages in just any circumstance but who was the player or who were the group of players who ran with that message and made sure none of the junior players slipped out of you know out of concentration of what their goal was like who, who spoke up more than anyone else oh oh look pricey was really influential like he was just a really big character within the group like and 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 i suppose to an extent like um bobcat had a, had a really big impact on the group um he he I wouldn't say he was a, like the, the biggest talker, but he led by example. Like, he, you know, he would be early to training. He'd always be getting prepared early. And, you know, he was the type of bloke that stayed back after and got on the field and produced every single week. Like, he was that type of bloke, Bobcat. So we had those two um, who were leading from the front, which was great. But, we, you know, like, we had blokes like, you know, Big Willie, like, you know, he, he was the same. He was, a, he was a bloke that just continually kept turning up that year. Um, you know, like... Always a good talker, you know, and Ogre was always a good talker. Braith was, a, you know, a good leader. And at that point in his career, like, Shifty was, like, probably the best half, one of the best halves in the comp. Like, the best very, half. Yeah, very unheralded for, you know, like, he was a, he was a, like, you know, there's no more of them left. There's a couple, but, like, he was a, just a footy player. Like, he was just a backyard footy player mm-hmm. playing in the NRL with an extremely talented team who, who knew how he played and played to his strengths with him. Like, I can remember him doing, you know, like, him and Sonny Bill had this, like, funny thing. That they just knew what each other were doing, you know, like, two good footy players. Like, Shifty would do a chip over the top from, like, 40 out. But mm. Sonny would be the first one to get the ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just had this funny, like, yeah. they were just footy players. It was like, Shifty would just look at him and Sonny go, oh, we're on here. Like, no one else would sort of have a clue. you just sort of react to what they're doing. But they were those type. They were just very instinctual players. And Shifty at that time was, like, he was just playing unbelievable. He should have played Origin around now. I think he would have if there wasn't somebody with the name of uh, Andrew Johns. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate, <laughs> isn't it? Getting picked on uh, perhaps his name and his reputation more than current yeah. form, I would suggest. But uh, 2004, would you would you rate that as your, your best year? Yeah, I think so. Performance-wise, easily my best year. Um, you know, I don't think I returned back as good a player from when I fractured my ankle in round 20. Mm-hmm. Something. I just I wasn't ex explosive, um, and I had trouble with that ankle the rest of my career. But you know, like that year was you know like a year where you know like personally I performed as well as I think I could have. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like having the team around you that you have makes you perform at a much higher level uh, when you're playing with good players. Was that an upsetting way to finish the year with that injury against the Cowboys? Yeah, um, because I yeah because I knew. Because I knew how good the team was going and how mm. good we were going as a group. And so that made it hurt even more. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, I got made to feel a part of that team all the way through the winning process, as did Pricey did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, who obviously we weren't able to play in those bigger games, but, uh, you know, folks who didn't leave us out and the boys didn't leave us out, uh, which was which was great. Yeah, also on that, those lines, I guess, I remember Dennis Scott and Jamie Feeney in yeah. and out of the team as well, and yeah, they, were. they were out on the field after the grand final as much as part of it as the, the boys on the field. Yeah, they, they did. All the players that missed out, I think Hutch missed out that night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all got to, you know, we were the, they were the first ones, the boys were getting around us. It was, we were a team. I don't know, that's, you know, as the question yeah. asked earlier, we were so tight-knit. It didn't, you know, the, the 17 on the field that final night were just the group that got us over the finishing line. Actually, the, the group that were trained together that whole year, we all had an input in how we, how we performed that year. That's crazy. Hutch Miyava was in that team as well. Yeah, so easy to forget. There's so many good players in that team. Yeah. Uh, it's not until you sit down and have conversations like this, you go, wow. <laughs> it was. It was, really was a good squad. I couldn't, yeah. really, couldn't believe the quality because I, I come from Canberra where we have, we used to, you know, we were synonymous for having like a good 15 players all, all the time down in Canberra. Um, and I, I remember doing an opposed session at the Bulldogs yeah. and um, I got put in it it was early on in the piece and I got put there was like a you know like a perceived first team and then I me and Willie Tong were in the second team but we were playing with John 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 was in our team and we <laughs> flogged him like John was just destroying him in this training session like it and I remember I was like I remember walking on going we just flogged like the perceived first team and it was like me, Willie Tonga, you know, Rennie, Sonny running around in the other team with with Jonathan Thurston at halfback. Like it wasn't fair. Like we, you know we were I remember just walking off the field that day thinking, oh, this is, this is something good going on here. Well, you had a few Kiwi internationals in that second team. Yeah. First, the Kiwi play on Origin and then play for Australia, Willie Tonga. Yeah. And then you got Jonathan Thurston, who I think is just waiting his time for to be an immortal, I think. Like, yeah. geez, yeah. talk about that as your your B side, your A side. <laughs> got to be something as well at the time. Whoa. Yeah, because we, we, it was like an opposed session. It was like our second mm-hmm. to last week before Christmas. So it was like a pretty full-on session, full contact. And um, <clears throat> I remember, like, um, like, first I just had it on a string. He just, like, like, the other team just couldn't. He just kicked them into the corner every time. And they just couldn't get out of their own half. And they were running around with Big Willie and, and, um, and like, Pricey and, like, the, the first team. Like, yeah. we were <laughs> out there young kids. And Jonathan Thurston just kept putting his ball into a corner. Just just kept... Oh, it was a bit. It was a bit wet that day as well. I remember, and, and we just ended up flogging them that day in the, the post session. Um, and I knew that day when we walked off. I thought to myself, oh, "God, if the, if the second team can destroy the first team like that in a training session, oh God, look out!" What are your memories of the two thousand and four Grand Final day? Oh, um, well, I remember the game. Vividly, the game was like a cracking game of footy. Mm. Um, all what I can what I can really remember is like with about uh, five seconds to go. I remember on the far side of the field, as you're looking at it, Bobcat made a tackle on Crocker and lost the ball with like I think yeah. it was like like very, like very few minutes or seconds to go in the game. And I remember like there was a bit of a scuffle afterwards in the siren went, and we just all ran on. Um, and then it just like the celebrations were just, just you know that that sense of um, achievement first, that just overjoyed, just like you know just can't believe what's happened, and then just the happiness for the group and the boys, and then just being together in the sheds and really really enjoying it as a group, and um, I remember um, John Howard came in, 
to congratulate the boys. And he just got sprayed with beer and champagne. <laughs> just going everywhere. Remember, he, and he, to be fair, he was a good bloke about it. He didn't really care. He, got, he just got a bit wet and his hand got him out of there and it was just a bit of carnage. But I remember like uh, coming out after about half an hour in the sheds and folks, he was sitting by himself in the corner. And uh, I remember going up to him and just saying, oh, congratulations, mate. You know, it was really, really good, awesome, mate. Can't, you know, come trying to be with the boys. And he said, yeah, yeah, I just, just want a minute. Just want to just enjoy it by myself for a minute. Just want to just, just, just sit here and just enjoy it by myself. And, yeah, fair enough. And sort of like at that time, you don't know what it was about. But, like, as you get a bit older, you think, you know, like, I never got to win one again. Mm. And, like, if I had of, I would have tried to enjoy it a little bit more like you know I, I don't know if it's different when you're playing because when you're playing like you win it just that elation it was like you know let's just get as many beers as we can and have the best time in the world mm. but like actually now looking back in hindsight i would have liked to have enjoyed the moment a little bit more like because you know like you, you play the game for so long and you know you, you know there's only teams like melbourne the roosters who might be able to win four or five like you know i won one and got close in another couple you know over 15 years like you know, they just don't come along as, as often as what you think they are. And, you know, had I got another chance at one, I would have, I probably now in perspective looking back, I know what Folksy was probably doing. I, mean, they, I think Folksy did win one as a player, didn't he? Yeah. He won a few, yeah. Won a few, yeah. 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 And I think he was, what he was doing was just reflecting and just having a moment to himself of what an achievement it was to do it as a coach with this group. Like, you know, like he was just having a minute to himself. And I, in hindsight now, like, you know, I wish I had even enjoyed a little bit more. Like, it took time to actually think about it. And not too many people do it as a player and a coach at the same team, the same club. So. No, mate, um, unbelievable achievement. Um, and how he kept that group together as well. You know, good, good rest of his soul, folks. He was one of the best. Absolutely. So, unfortunate to miss the uh, grand final for an injury, but the 2005 pre-season got to go over play Leeds in the World Club Challenge. How was how was that? Yeah, that was actually really fun. Um, we, we took a really understrength side over because we just mm. had so many surgeries. We had like a heap of internationals come back and need surgery, so folks, he wasn't keen on pushing on any of them to win this game, but he thought it would be a good way to uh, get the group back together and get us underway and travel overseas. And it was a really good experience. I remember we went and did a heap of stuff as a, as a team, went and saw the, did all this, the sightseeing and, and it was a good trip. We had a really good time over there. We unfortunately didn't get the win, but um, we gave it a good shake. I think we nearly come back and won it. It was a good experience. Yeah, it was a really good um, time to travel over and do all those types of things as a young bloke. It was good. Just before that, you just made your debut for the Kiwis too. A couple yeah. Of months prior. Yeah. Yeah, when I went away and played with the Kiwis in, in, in the Tour of England. Um, I, I unfortunately, I tore my quad. I think it was like week two when we were over playing France. I remember I kicked off and tore my quad. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Daniel Anderson was the coach. He was a good bloke, Daniel. And he said, uh, look, what do you want to do? He goes, it's up to you. He says, look, you can stay over here for another four weeks or you can go home because I was, I was not going to play anymore. I was gone for six yeah. weeks. I said, oh, well, I'm already over here. I might as well just stay and just enjoy it. Um, Ruben had just broke his cheek, his cheekbone, so he was out. And then Sonny Bill had done something. I can't remember what Sonny did, but he ended up being out like a couple of weeks later. So there was like a there was like a trio of us who, who weren't playing anymore. So that just turned into carnage. Like <laughs> it was just Ruben was just taking picking me and Sonny up, and we just couldn't we couldn't go with him because he could drink Ruben. He was a really <laughs> good drinker. 
And uh, me and Sonny just were like young blokes. We just couldn't, he would like be ringing us at like 11 o'clock after a day on a, like a big day. And he'd be like, all right, come on, boys, we're going again. And I was just giving <laughs> real. I, just, I was just trying to get in the fetal position and hide from him for the little like, couple of weeks because I just couldn't go with him. But it was a really good tour. Did you get to um, play much after? Did you play the rest of the game with the injury or did you come off? No, I came off. I just came straight off. Kicked off and tore my quad and walked straight off. Straight off. Yeah. Oh, not not so the greatest of but I ended up playing a fair few, oh, a few games afterwards. Um, Anzac tests and a couple other tests. Yeah, it was yeah, good times. You played fullback. Well, you, I suppose you're named a fullback, I guess, um, for that game. Was that a bit odd? But you know, you played the season yeah. at centre, and then you're at now wearing the number one for New Zealand. It was, it was, it was actually because because um, Daniel wanted me to play like a completely different role to what I was used to, but. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's you're playing a game with elite players, so it's it's not as hard as what it might sound. Um, like for a club game, you know, like it might be a little bit more difficult because you're so used to your roles. But then mm. you're playing in a test match with elite players, so that it does make it a lot easier. But um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get many minutes, so it didn't matter in the end. <laughs> Did you um just a maybe a cheeky question on this one? With you had Nigel Wagner on the wing. Yep. So you took his his spot that he moved on and you came in and filled in the spot and part of the grand final side. Did you say Nigel, if you signed him one more one more year, you might have enjoyed that? Yeah. Or did you thank him? No, well well see, back then Nigel was like a hero to all of us. Like <laughs> Nigel was like the Islander, Pacific Islander Kiwi fellow, like over in NRL, just like he was like if you're a young Islander, Pacific Islander kid, he was like, yeah, he was the man wasn't he Nige back then mm. and, and so you know like I, in a way you know like it did it make my path easier into the first team yeah 100% it did but would I, would I have enjoyed playing with him for a year or two like what if he had stayed on 100% like you know even now I, re, I regret not having to get ever play I get to I, I think I went on a tour with Nige and played with Nige and, and I remember just he, he was like Ruben very much like Ruben um, just a really well-respected fellow, just a really good guy, like a really good guy around the group, a leader of the group. Um, yeah, I, if, I wish I, I, I regret is I wish I had to play with Nigel a lot more because he was such a good player. We've talked about it a few times. You moved around positions on injuries and, and to get a chance. Did you ever feel that that was disruptive at all? Would you like to be in one spot for an extended period of time? No, not really. I, I, I think um, I actually enjoyed the... Uh, the process of playing in different positions. Uh, look, I never wasn't one or always one person to say, oh, I know I need to play on the left because I have this or I can't defend on my right because I've got that. It was always like a well, the challenge this week is, you know, you, just, you're playing wing and you, Andrew Johns is the kicker, so you've got to make sure you're in position this week. Or, you know, you're playing centre this week and you're defending Mark Gaznia. So, you know, you got your hands full with that one. I think even in 2005, we went through that. We had the fullback curse. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Fullbacks yeah. getting injured. Even uh, Hazel got injured. Yeah, Hazel has got injured that year. He played when he only got injured, though, when he went to fullback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember correctly, got absolutely clobbered, like as in it was a weird injury, if I remember correctly. He got yeah. slid into and flipped over someone. It was just kind of bizarre. Like you only had to be wearing Kennedy's number one jersey to get that done. That That's year. right. Yeah. Because I think it happened to like three or four blokes. And then I finally went there and I actually managed to stay healthy for a couple of weeks. 
Did you tell did you tell Fix he not number one? Just give me a number twenty, name me at center, but then shift me to fullback. Like I, I remember when Fox he asked me, he goes, Oh, you, you're gonna get you're gonna play fullback this week. And I remember looking at him, he goes, There's no curse, mate. Right? There's, <laughs> it's just there's no curse. And I'm I'm like, oh I'm fine, mate. And it was against South. Um I can't remember if he won or not. And I played fullback for a couple of weeks. Um and yeah, it was I I actually didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Um, I felt fine playing different positions, um, and, and back, that, back then in that group, you know, you could, you could play anywhere in that team and still play well. So you would have been about fifth choice fullback, Luke Patton, Trent Cutler was Trent Cutler there at yeah, the time, yeah. and then then yeah. Hazem yourself. So general, then it went. Has went. Then Cuts went back there. Then he got injured. Then Has went. Yeah. And I can't remember if they put someone else in, and then I went. So I might have been fourth or fifth. Was there Luke Young, a really young player who wore an oversized jersey for a game or two? Yeah, there was someone. Yeah. There was a young, a specialized fullback that had a go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the name, but yeah, there was. A, and then, uh, then, then they decided to put me back there. I don't think we got, I don't think we got much um, attacking weaponry out of the fullback position. I think it only lasted a few weeks there. And then I think Has came back. Something happened like that, yeah. Did you actually have a fight who, who took the fullback? Instead of saying, I want the fullback, no, you have it, the type of thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like you that. get injured yeah, again. Was, I'll go back. Yeah, yeah was, I, I don't think anyone was rushing to play there. <laughs> we were all begging for general to come back. <laughs> Just a, a random one. You see in today's game more than I think, more than when, you know, you played, um, that, you know, a lot of people, they have the certain positions. You hear like, a lot of players come to mind that oh, I'm a fullback or I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. How does it make you feel like you've played all, all for the outside backs and, you know, you did it well, you excelled at all positions. Do you tell them, like, you know, suck it, like, do you think suck it up that you're playing NRL or do you go good on you or you got to earn that spot? Like, what do you think as an ex-player who's happy to play wherever? Look, I think, I think, I think if you if you can't play multiple positions, if, if you're a back, I think it would eventually harm you, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're not a fully established player. Like if mm-hmm. you're a, if you're a player that's sort of on the fringe and you're just like a left sided winger, well, well yeah, that's going to harm your your chances, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you need a left sided winger to be out of the game for you to get a game. But mm-hmm. if you can play anywhere across the back four, and then into the centers, into the you know, like it's you have a chance of playing anywhere in that in that back one. And then you're waiting on one injury to, to give yourself a chance to get you give yourself a look to get in the game. So look, I think it, it can definitely harm you, but I think um, the, the way the game's gone, there is a lot more specialized um, players, specialized right sided centers, specialized mm. left, you know, like and you know, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of players that, you know, we can only play him on the left side because he doesn't catch the ball as well on his right or he doesn't tackle as well on his right or whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like, they they end up playing in these positions so long that they just end up, they can't do anything else. Like, it's just, that's what I am. I just have to play that, that position. That's what I've noticed too in that, like, you know, re-watching that and just comparing it to today's game, um, you would see, like, the likes of Willie Mason, who is a, he predominantly played as an edge-back rower, but he'll take a run on the right side, and then two tackles later, he's taking a run on the left side. So he's gone from one edge to another edge. And then, like even like yourself, I've seen in one where you you scored on the right hand side playing center. The next minute, you're off a scrum on the left wing because um, Utah's gone in or whatever. Like, is that like annoying for coaches? Coaches had the flexibility, or I felt like anyway, as a fan of the game, coaches back then had the flexibility, to, you know, to have a set play and actually go, hey, do you know what? We'll put our right center on the opposite side to put our two centers together. 
um, and move our forward pack around. And now it feels like you can't really shuffle that up a little bit anymore. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I'll, I didn't actually find this out until a bit later, but um, I actually, when I went out and moved over to England, I then started doing a bit of coaching and I was working with Nathan Brown, who was mm. coaching George at the time when I was at the Doggies. And he yep. said to me, uh, when I'd retired later on, he said to me, oh, you know when we played you in 2004? He said, yes. He goes, you, you and Haz, I was playing wing, and Haz was playing the other wing. He goes, you both scored tries against us on the opposite side of the field. <laughs> and he goes, and I've been scratching my head ever since, wondering how, the, how you did it. <laughs> like, was it a planned move? Like, how did you? He goes, because I can't figure out how the opposite side of wingers scored on the opposite sides of the field. Yeah. It, it, it baffled us because we couldn't prepare for it. And I remember him asking me, like, was it a, did you plan, did you plan that? And, mm. and I said, well, no. And I think no. that was that side. The, the side was so interchangeable and folks, he had had us training in all different spots and playing in all different spots. And like you said, like Willie was a front row one week, but then a right-sided back row who could turn up on the left. And I was playing right and left and all the positions that we were playing were all interchangeable, but we had a team that would play stuff what they seen. Folks, she was very big on us letting us play what we seen. Mm. And when you're playing with like Shifty and Bray, like, you know, they were they were masters at exposing teams where they were weak. So mm. for us as outside backs, me and Haz, um, once we got up over the 50 and into good ball sometimes, folks, she would allow us to go and play as second and third fullbacks. Mm. So, so me and Haz would come in off our wings and just follow the play on the inside of the field. And so that's why... I remember that game when we played St George and I scored on Shifty actually hit me on an inside ball on the opposite side of the field. And I scored a try and, and then has scored on my side, side of the field because he was supporting like a second fullback. Roy Satazi went through, passed it inside to General and then there was Has on the inside of General, but he scored on my side of the field. <laughs> and so when Browning was asking how we couldn't, you know, he was trying to put something on us. He said, how do I meant to defend against that? Like, do, do my wingers come off and follow you through, through the middle of the field? I said, well, that wasn't planned. It was just that we got into certain parts of the field and, and folks who would allow us to explore and, and go and play stuff. And, and I think, you know, looking back on it now, it was hard to game plan against us because everything, there was a lot of footy just being playing off the cuff. And it's hard to defend and prepare for that. Like, you can't sit there in a video session and say, oh, they like doing this play and this play and this play because it was so unorthodox and the way we were running the plays, it was hard to actually plan against us. And then mm. you add in the talent that's actually running the plays and the blokes that are, you know, your Sonny Bills and your Willies and your Andrew Ryans. Like, it just was a really potent mix that, for that style of footy for that time. Because I actually just, uh, when watching it, um, I saw a pass from Willie Mason to Andrew Ryan who scored against yeah. South. So I'm not saying if you specifically remember that. How does two back rowers, 11 and 12 pass it to each other, standing a metre away from each other, connect like that? It's just outstanding, like, do you think, like, today maybe the coaches overcoach and don't give enough confidence in their younger players? Or no, I, I, I don't think it is. Yeah, I, I don't actually think it's overcoaching. What I think it is is that um, we, we, we've, it's starting to be coached out a little bit more now. You've got players like Nathan Cleary playing, who's very, plays what he sees. But mm. we've got obsessed with this, um, this structured footy. You know, about mm. how, how the game should be played and this percentage type footy. We've, we've really got obsessed with it. And we've got some teams actually playing away from it at the moment. Um, and those are the teams that, you know, that actually they will move the ball. Like a, Par Parramatta will move the ball from their own 20. If they see yes. it, they'll just chuck it out there and go and play footy. 
you know, and, that, and that's why I reckon they've been a bit more successful this year because they just played the style of footy that no one was really used to. Mm. And now Penrith are doing that. Penrith, you know, Clear will pick the ball up and if there's a 30-metre pass to be thrown in his own 10, he'll throw it. Mm. Mm. And, and so they're actually starting to play a lot more and trust a lot more of what the players are doing, whereas I think for the period of the game, there was a five- or six-year period where we got so structured was that yeah. it has to run here, you've got to be here, the halfback's allowed to do it here, but if we're not there by play four, we're kicking it and we're making the other team come out of their end of the field. And it's mm. just like this real boring, oh, yeah, we'll get it up there and kick it up there. And it's just, you get, you get to this this arm wrestle and it's like, it's not really nice to watch, is it? You're just watching two teams slog it out and kick it on play four every time. Mm. Just for some really good player to run 80 metres and score a try, like, some, you know, like every now and then those games are good, but you don't want, I don't, I don't want to watch that every single week. Mm. I want to see some footy being played. I want to see someone take the line on and throw a really good ball or a risky ball right at the line, cut out, miss two plays, find a player, hit the ball at speed. Like, you know what I mean? Like you had, you know, like I always used to say, Jimmy Maloney, you know, now that he's retired, but he was one, Jimmy Maloney would throw it like he didn't care. Like he would just, if he saw a pass to be thrown, he'd throw it. And if he got mm. in and ran down the other end of the field, he'd go straight back down there on the next set and throw the exact same pass again. And he'd find the winger on the next one. Like he was a player that I used to love watching because he would just keep playing. He just didn't stop playing footy where it was origin, grand finals. He would just keep coming at you with footy. And that's why he was such a really good player. Mm. I think we're starting to get back to a bit more of that now. We're actually got, we're getting the coaches playing the players to just play some footy. You know, don't, think, don't be so boring. Don't just be so bland. We actually mm. want to play some footy with that tough stuff as well. Yeah. And you can have tight games with that too like we saw in the final series this year Penrith scored against Melbourne from kicking out a dummy half and yeah. it was a tight it was a tight game yeah so yeah and, exciting game. and let's be honest maybe maybe they wouldn't have won that game had they not put that play on yeah you know you don't get you got to risk it for a biscuit sometimes you know especially mm. games where you don't get a second bite at it like you know that yeah. the, the fact that that, that you know if, if someone if you could have told me yeah you know, they'll win that game, but they're going to kick out of play two and play, or, you know, our dummy half on play two. You're like, I'm mm. going to, before the game, you're, no, no chance. Mm. No one in the semi-finals kicking on play two out of dummy half. What would the tab pay for that? <laughs> well, exactly. It's just not what you would, you know, like, yeah. you know, well, we're seeing Penrith do that type of stuff now, you know, like, yeah. they will play footy out of their own end. And that's why I, like, I love watching them because it's a good brand of footy. Like, mm-hmm. they, can, they can just blow you off the park if they want to play tough footy. They want to just, you know, get get their forwards to rev it up and rev, they, they can blow you off like that. But if, mm. if you don't want to play that style of game, they'll throw it around and beat you like that as well. 